Middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond with Tommy Castor and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. Some may say that we are wildly unqualified. Some may say we are only mildly entertaining. I say we are exactly where we are supposed to be, bringing you episode 104 of the Keeper of the Games podcast, the only podcast focused on sports in and around and of interest to Wichita, Kansas, and predictably at this time of year, probably my favorite season of the year, at least weather-wise, we are football dominant on the show today. I am Blake Cripps. Joined by Tommy Caster. Thomas, I hope that your betting activities went better this weekend. I got absolutely hosed this weekend. It was terrible. Worst that I've had since I started the evil, down the evil corruption called gambling, which brought in $1.3 million to Kansas in the first month, by the way, which blew my mind. Um, I'm sure that number will go down. They said that a lot of the money is coming in in the Kansas City area, which they presumably and accurately probably predict is our Missourians coming across the line to gamble. So I'm sure that that will go down, but uh, yeah, they were making money off me this weekend. What was the most egregious bet that you made that did not pan out? For I you? honestly don't, I don't hate any of the bets that I made. The one that <laughs> last night we had a uh, three, we had a three leg parlay. We had the leading running back, Watson, I believe. doesn't matter what his name is. Lead running back for the Raiders to go over 75. He had 130. Chiefs on the money line. And Travis Kelsey, over 50 yards receiving. And Kelsey is the one that let me down. Can you believe that? I saw yeah. there was a parlay of, like, if you had their running back to score the first touchdown, Chiefs on the money line, and multiple touchdowns, for Kelsey, a ten dollar bet won you like two grand. That yeah, I had blows a my I had mind. A, I had a ten leg parlay going uh, for Monday Night Football last night. And ten legs? Yeah, it was a ten leg. You had a centipede? Really, Jeez! I felt really, really good about it, and I put in ten bucks. It was gonna net me like I don't know six hundred dollars. Like your or something your, like that. your son's college education? Yeah. And uh, I hit nine out of the 10 and the 10th was Travis Kelsey's receiving yards. Um, it was, I think it was over. It was like an alternate receiving yard. Sure. I want to say it was like over 40. And I'm like, which is like, be, he, he hits his easy. over like 70, his, his actual over. He's like 75% of the time. And I think yeah. the over was like 70 in that game. Yeah. So that was, that was the worst one. I did okay on Sunday uh, with the NFL slate. Um, you know, it was kind of a mixed bag, like nothing really crazy to report home. But last night, Monday Night Football was an absolute massacre. <laughs> yeah, I had a four-team parlay and the Packers somehow blew that lead and let me down. So yeah, yep. whatever. It's a, it's a hard way to make a living. That is for sure. What is not hard is to find us on social media. We are at CogPod on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Keeper the Games, where you can watch the show or, of course, on our YouTube channel. You can find us at cogpod.podomatic.com, first place with the audio, and we're probably on your favorite platform, Google, Apple, 
iHeartRadio, many other platforms that are available. Make sure you like, share, and subscribe, whether you are on Facebook, like us, ring the bell on YouTube, make sure you get the notifications. We release the podcast every other week. And coming up on the show today, a big injury for Kansas. Kansas State controls their own destiny, but we will begin today with the Chiefs course correcting a 41-31 win over Tampa Bay on Sunday night football. And then yesterday on Monday night, a 30-29 come from behind win over the Raiders from 17 down. It was looking extremely negative for the first half of last night's game, especially as the Chiefs looked completely hapless offensively. They were doing nothing defensively at all, but... Overall, once you look at the games in their totality, offensively at least, you've got two very solid performances, probably the second and third best games outside of the season opener to Arizona for this Chiefs offense. 417 yards against Tampa Bay, 189 yards on the ground, 368 total yards against the Raiders, 103 on the ground. I had mentioned the ground game in our previous show had moved backwards the last two weeks. Chiefs have now put back-to-back pretty decent Last week, last night was not great on Monday night. Um, I guess you guys are watching this on Wednesday, so it'll be earlier in the week for you. But very solid performances by Patrick Mahomes. The defense has been a little bit iffy the last couple of weeks, but Travis Kelsey approaching Hall of Fame status. 9 for 92 with the touchdown against Tampa Bay. And even though he busted both me and Tommy's parlays, all he did yesterday was 7 catches, 25 yards, and 4 touchdowns, setting the new tight end record for the Chiefs for touchdowns in a game. Uh, Teams cannot stop him right now. Even though Kansas City does not have Tyreek Hill, they have found a way to get Kelsey the ball through double teams. Hardman, Valtez, Scandley, and Juju are doing just enough to make teams honest. And all of a sudden, all of that discord that we heard about, that Mahomes and Reed and Biennemi, nobody can get along, and they're yelling at each other, all of a sudden they are on the same page again, and all is right with the Chiefs offense. What a wild and, and crazy Monday night football it was. Uh, you know, Kansas City falls behind 17-0 early, and the, the Raiders had all the momentum. And credit to Josh McDaniels early in that game. He had the, the right game plan for Las Vegas to come out and punch Kansas City in the mouth. And that's what the Raiders and really any team have to do if they want to beat the Chiefs at Arrowhead is get out to an early lead, disrupt the the game script for Kansas City, and be able to um, script up something that's going to shorten the game a little bit, be able to have some explosive plays offensively, and then get the Kansas City offense off the field. And I, I thought especially in the first half, the Raiders' line play on both sides of the ball was incredible. Um, they absolutely dominated the trenches, and they got a ton of pressure on Mahomes. Max Crosby is a problem. Uh, he's sure. a great defensive player, and you know it wasn't just him. Chandler Jones had a, a great night, too. Those two guys and the, the front four uh, for Las Vegas, they gave the offensive line for Kansas City fits early on in that game, and that was a huge reason why the Raiders were able to get ahead so early. And then on the other side of the ball, the offensive line protected really, really well, and they blocked great, and Josh Jacobs was able to make it happen running the football. And it it wasn't just the amount of yardage that Josh Jacobs got. It was the yards after contact that was so impressive from what Jacobs was able to do. Um, You know, multiple different runs. There were one or two or three Kansas City defenders on Jacobs who just shook him off each time and was able to 
you know, move the pile forward for a couple more yards here, a couple more yards there. And that was really, really effective. And of course, it was a near perfect start to the game for the Raiders and completely the opposite for Kansas City. And then the tide completely turned. Uh, and we all we all know what happened, um, but it, it it was a a tale of two halves for sure. Yeah, the Chiefs started zero for three on third down, and then converted their next five and seven of nine to end the game. So third down obviously is a huge down in the in the sport right now, the way that it's currently constructed, and and the Chiefs absolutely flipped that script around. Defensively, I mean, the Chiefs look just bad. And and I think the statistics will show that they did not have a good game defensively, gave up some no. big plays, shoddy tackling on Josh Jacobs. And it, why, like, is there some reason that the defense just forgot that Devonte Adams existed for like, what were they doing? Like he just ran by on the first touchdown like our, our safety is there he just lets him run by maybe that was the third touchdown whichever one it was they just let him run by we're like what are you a safety for if he's going to be both of you I thought that they guarded Adams just horrendously the whole game there, there was yeah and it wasn't just the play on the field it was the the play calling uh, early on in the game against Devontae Adams where I kept watching it I'm like why in the world are you single covering Devontae Adams? You can't do that. He's one of the best receivers in the game, and you're throwing Rashad Fenton on him. Rashad Fenton by himself got grilled in the first got, half. Got picked on grilled. big time. And you know, you leave him on an island by himself with no help against Devontae Adams, who probably I don't I don't have their I don't have their specs to compare, but just by looking at him, I would imagine Adams has like probably three inches and 40 pounds on Rashad Fenton. Adams and is a big was, dude. He's a he big is. wide receiver I, and he can absolutely. move. And so I was completely perplexed as to why that was, those were the play calls, why that was the scheme for Kansas City was to, at least early on in that game, single cover Devontae Adams. It didn't make any sense. No. I mean, give credit to Steve Spagnuolo. Everything switched around. Obviously, the defense in the second half was way better. Carr was sacked twice, but he had a quarterback rating of 110. It was his second best of the season. Obviously, the Chiefs should have had a fumble. We might get to that here in a little bit, if not for one of the most disgusting abuses of the roughing the passer rule that we have probably seen since they tightened up those rules. But the Chiefs allowed Derek Carr to have his best day in terms of yards per attempt and passer rating on the year. Las Vegas ran for under 100 yards in each of their first three games, had their second best running game of the year. Defensively, not the Chiefs' best effort, but as you mentioned, it was very nice to see them come up with big third down stops in the second half when they needed to. But overall, it was the Chiefs' second worst defensive game, and the Chiefs have played their two worst defensive games. And I know that Tampa Bay got a lot of points at the end. It was in garbage time. I get that. But I mean, it was still going to be a negative expected point statistic game for them, and probably still would have been their second worst. So the, it's still going to be. Even if you take out the last 10 points that Tampa Bay scores, these are the two worst defensive games of the year, and they've really only looked good in the one game that they lost, which was against the Indianapolis Colts. So I know that Steve Spagnuolo gets some credit for what he has done to this defense, and the Chiefs defensively didn't play bad against the Cardinals and the Chargers. They weren't just, you know, they were close to where they needed to be, but offensively, like the Raiders are not, are they leading 
the NFL in any stats that I'm I'm not aware of them leading in yeah. any stats. So for the the Raiders to do that against Kansas City when you got the Bills coming up next, that's a bit concerning for me. Yeah, I'm I'm absolutely concerned defensively for Kansas City and primarily with the secondary um, because they they had to deal with Devontae Adams on Monday Night Football. And they turn right around and they get to face Stephon Diggs, Gabe Davis, and the Buffalo Bills receiving core. And then, in two weeks, take on Debo Samuel in San Francisco. So they're facing probably, what, four of the top ten receivers in the league over the course of three weeks. Uh, And that secondary didn't do a whole lot to instill a lot of confidence in me on Monday Night Football. Now, keep in mind, Trent McDuffie, their highly touted rookie, Uh, should be back in the secondary for Kansas City against Buffalo. So that is a positive. Sure. He looked really good before he came out with that injury. Um, But it's not just the secondary. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm concerned there. But I'm also concerned about their run stopping. Uh, They've given up 150 was, yards per game on the ground the last yeah. two games. And Josh Allen is not an immobile quarterback. I'm not right. saying that he is going to be a Steve Young guy. He's probably not even as elusive as Patrick Mahomes is or shifty. But Josh Allen can, he can take competently off. He run can the take He's off. averaging like yeah. six yards a carry this year. And, and I thought that the, the Monday Night Football game uh, against the Raiders and Josh Jacobs going off in the way that he did, that was the first time that I feel like the Chiefs have really missed Willie Gay Jr. And, of course, Gay Jr. is suspended for four games. Uh, he's not going to be part of the Buffalo game. He, he'll be back for San Francisco. But that was the first time I felt like the Chiefs defensively in the linebacking uh, core of Nick Bolton and Darius Harris, they played pretty well. Like, you couldn't ask a whole lot more from those guys on Monday Night Football. Um, but they really missed the run-stopping ability of Willie Gay. That's what he's there for. That's what he does. Now, the only reason why that doesn't give me why I'm not as concerned about that against Buffalo is to your point really the biggest running threat for Buffalo is Josh Allen they don't really have much of a running attack outside of Allen scrambling they're a pass first team I don't have you know I I don't really feel like um you know Zach Moss and um who else is there Uh, I think you're probably thinking of Singletary but they don't have yeah like those are the only guy they average like a a buck 20 on the ground a game or so it's they're not going to strike fear into the hearts of really any defense at this point. So I'm less concerned about the run stopping for next week. Overall, I am until Willie Gay comes back. But for me, it's all about the secondary. And what is Steve Spagnola going to be able to do with those young defenders, corners and safeties to keep them active and, and have them have success against really, really dynamic wide receivers? I watched what the Bills did against the Steelers on Sunday and those receive and Josh Allen's a great quarterback. Yeah, I was gonna. I was about to jump but in those there. Those receivers and, were amazing. Well, and Josh Allen is like Lamar Jackson is playing. He had an off year last year. Lamar Jackson's playing really, really good now. But I mean, I still think we believe that Josh Allen is a top five quarterback in this league. Maybe sure. top three, top two. Yeah, I mean, top two. It's, Tom Brady is not having the kind of year that he's normally having, and Aaron Rodgers is not having the kind of year that he's normally having. So I think you may put those three guys, it may be Mahomes, Allen, and Jackson. Those might be the top three. Maybe Herbert. I might I might sneak Herbert into my top three. but Herbert, yeah, Herbert's play had some very nice games as well. Uh, one thing, obviously, that the Chiefs have done very well is score in the red zone. 
third in the league, 78.2% red zone scoring, getting touchdowns in the red zone. They only trail Tennessee and New Orleans. Travis Kelsey obviously was a huge part of that because that's basically all he did was they went down there and they said, you know what, Blake and Tommy, they could suck it on these parlays, but we're going to get you four touchdowns. I'd take the win over that. Here's Kelsey on scoring in the red zone. Once you get in the red zone, the windows get tighter. You got to play more physical. You got to, you know, there's just it's there's just the mentality that you have to bring. We saw the past couple couple weeks, especially last week, everyone loved to talk about how Pat is, you know, the magic Mahomes that he is. The play's never dead, man. And um, you'll you'll forever see us working uh, until that that whistle blows or until you know the play's dead. And it's it's just a mentality that we have. Um, and um, I know that uh, as creative as he is, he's going to find a way to get get the guy, get anybody the ball in the right position. And sure enough, um, I caught my momentum going across field, knowing that everybody uh, was flowing to the uh, to the side that I had caught the ball on. Um, and then from there, got a huge block by McColl, and um, and sure enough, just made uh, made a couple guys miss to be able to get in there. It was amazing how open he was, especially on the the last one. The the, the Raiders just like thought he was invisible there was a i was watching the game in a parking lot on my tablet me and my friend were were screaming at the screen there was a chief that had a better chance to make a defensive play on the ball than any raider i don't know what they were doing but he was facing double coverage he has been getting double covered but somehow some way the holy trinity mahomes reed the even without Tyreek Hill, they have figured out a way. Even though the running game last week was not that great, now you know Ceh had a monster game against Tampa Bay, and I know we kind of have re- recency bias on this podcast since we're not doing the show every week. We ought to put give some credit to Clyde Edwards-Helaire. He was sensational against the Buccaneers. The running game against it was not that good against the Raiders on Monday night, but Kelsey has been. Probably, I mean, he's got to be close to the best offensive player in the league right now, the way he's playing. Well, you know, I, I think Jarek McKinnon would like to have a word with you about saying that the running game was not great on Monday Night Football. McKinnon looked really good. Okay, uh, McKinnon, he, McKinnon was good. Clyde edwards helaire though, he, was kind of non-existent, yeah, 9 for yeah. 15. Yeah, CEH did, was not good, but McKinnon, um, there was a couple of drives there, especially opening in the second half, that McKinnon extended drives and you know was able to to keep Kansas City with. He the did ball have and one back like and get back in that game. He had seven. He had the one thirty yarder though. So other than that, he's like seven for twenty three. So if you if you take away, and I understand like explosive runs are a big part of offense. They're a big part of why Patrick Mahomes can get big plays. I get that, but. You take away that one play, and the running game for the Chiefs is pretty much non-existent. I mean, going back to you know Travis Kelsey, he's the the best tight end, without a doubt, in the league, and he might be the best tight end of all time uh, when it's all said and done. He might I be. am, I am so tired though, uh, and I, I I would like it to be put to bed. I don't think it's gonna be put to bed because I think the the media and social media I think they like having a storyline they like having a narrative but I'm so tired of this storyline of Patrick Mahomes without Tyreek Hill and is it gonna work and it is it's working it's kind of working they're four and one and yeah you lack the explosiveness and the speed and everything that Tyreek Hill is he's a unicorn I mean let's just call it for what it is there's not a wide receiver like Tyreek Hill in the National Football League that has the same skill set that Tyreek Hill has 
That being said, Patrick Mahomes completed passes to nine different receivers on Monday Night Football. Nine different, including a backup tight end. touchdowns, and, two picks. What do you want from him? Yeah. Uh, 66% completion. End, a backup tight end and two running backs. He's spreading the ball out. And so what, what the Chiefs lost in Tyreek Hill, they gained in quantity and they and they gained in diversification of their offense and spreading the ball around. Defenses knew that in years past, you had to bracket Hill and you had to bracket Kelsey. And that was the strategy. And if you could do that effectively and you had the personnel to do that effectively, then Kansas City was going to struggle offensively. And I remember being frustrated over the years, like, who is the number two wide receiver? There isn't one. Like, who? they've got to find somebody else. And is it Sammy Watkins? No, it's probably not Sammy Watkins. Like, I would get so frustrated. Like, there's got to be another wide receiver who can step up and, and stretch the field a little bit. They've... They've got quite a few guys now. MVS had 90 yards receiving on Monday night on what, six catches for 90 yards? Yeah. And, you know, he stretched the field better than I think we've seen him do so far this year. You know, he had a pretty egregious drop in the second half that wasn't wasn't good. It was McCall Hardman also had some plays that he should have made. But I think McCall Hardman looked pretty good too, considering he's been dealing with a, with an injury for the entire season. He had almost seventy five yards receiving, no, just four uh, catches, and he yeah. was able to stretch the field. I just, you know, Juju Smith Schuster is probably not the Juju that we, he he was in Pittsburgh. Um, I but I think he can be a good change of pace guy. And then you've got Sky Moore and Justin Watson is even there who can step up in the backup tight ends. And you've got the backs out of the backfield. Like it opens up so many more possibilities. I am, I'm so tired of this narrative of like, okay, is the Chiefs offense missing a step? And I don't, I don't mean I'm going to, um, I'm going to throw my, my co-host on sports daily, Jacob Albrock under the bus here for a second. You would do Um, that. I'm going to do that on this show. He'll never hear this. So I, I feel like I can say it. I feel like every time we talk after a chiefs game, he's constantly like, ah, I just don't, I feel like the wide receivers are we're just missing something. It's just not quite there. I'm like, what are we missing? Patrick Mahomes has Patrick Mahomes an incredible numbers. stat line this season so far. Like, you know, yeah, of course. Like if you had the opportunity to go out and, I don't know, sign free agent Odell Beckham Jr. Sure, you'd probably do that for the explosive play capabilities, right? But I'm perfectly content with the wide receivers right now exactly the way they are. The Chiefs are currently getting two and a half points at home against the Bills. That's a little interesting to me. The Chiefs getting points at home. Buffalo's a really good team. Chiefs defensively, as I mentioned, not playing very good. Uh, Does that tickle your fancy at all? No, I think I stay away from this entirely. Um, that I, I'm, I'm not gonna. I don't think I'm gonna bet that at all. I mean, I might find. I'm gonna find player props and sure. You know, I'm maybe the over. I don't know. I'm, it might be a shootout uh, in KC. Although the Bills' defense is really good, um, I think that might be that might end up being kind of a an X factor in, in the game on Sunday. Is the fact that you've got potentially explosive offenses on both sides, uh, but I I do think the Bills' defense is better than Kansas City's is right now. So that might end up being 
the deciding factor in that game. And obviously the Chiefs will be facing a much, much better quarterback, even though Derek Carr has at times played good. He played very good on Monday. He played well enough to win, but um, Josh Allen certainly is a known commodity. Coming up next, a big injury for Kansas, the Crimson and Blues dream run. Coming to an end last week against Texas Christian, 38-31 TCU wins it. They had stayed perfect the week before, surviving an ugly game against the Cyclones. And if you think that's the last time we're going to talk about an ugly game featuring the Cyclones, you'd be wrong. Just wait about 10 minutes. Obviously, Tommy, I think you were there once again in your uh, <laughs> primo seats. Uh, game day atmosphere, amazing. The ratings for the game on television were up 140% over the average for FS1 on their games in a similar time slot a year ago. So I don't know, maybe people actually do want to watch the Big 12. Maybe the media market doesn't have everything to do with everything. Just just pointing that out. There's a lot to get to with these games, but unquestionably, the top story is going to be the quarterback injury of Jalen Daniels and the quarterback play of Jason Bean. We'll start with Daniels. Listed as doubtful this week for the game at Oklahoma. He was hit, landed with all his weight, defender on top of him, on his throwing shoulder. We haven't exactly heard what the injury is, just that it's the shoulder. What he's done is incredible. 1,600 yards of total offense, 16 total touchdowns. But Jason Bean comes in, 16 for 24, 262 yards, four touchdowns, a career high, and he just played a half. The fact that he not just came in and treaded water, but he kept the Jayhawks in the game When's the last time that you had a QB1 went out and you had this level of confidence? And I didn't. I said early in the year, you know, we had all this stuff from Brian Haney on your show on radio, uh, Sports Daily on uh, KFH, KFHradio.com, weekday mornings from 9 to 11. You're welcome. Uh, Talking about Jason Bean and how well he's playing all that, I told Lance Leopold to basically shut the hell up. Well, uh, let's find the air horn for me. Maybe... Maybe Coach Leopold knew what he was talking about because I go into this game against Oklahoma. Maybe we're not favored. Maybe KU is not going to be favored to win this game. Maybe they shouldn't win this game. Oklahoma is undoubtedly more talented, even though they are falling off of a cliff right now. But you have some level of confidence because of the way that Bean played on Saturday. I mean, Reesing and Meyer, that's probably the last time you felt this level of confidence. Uh, what Bean did was incredible, but obviously not having Jalen Daniels has to give every Jayhawk fan a little bit of trepidation going into week six. Yeah, I want to be very, very clear when I say I like Jalen Daniels a lot. In fact, I love I have to Jaylen say you better Daniels. love Jalen Daniels. I love what Jalen Daniels has done to re-energize this football program. He's the face of the program as he should be. The amount of coverage that he got leading up to this game on, you know, ESPN and College Game Day and all of it is incredible. And deserved the shot Heisman candidacy. It's incredible, and it is, it's deserved. That being said. Jason Bean played better football than Jalen Daniels has in the last couple of games. And I don't even think that's a hot take. I you look at the stat line. No, Jason Bean it's not. was 16 to 24 with four touchdowns. And let's not forget, and you want to talk about recency bias, let's not forget that that opening half against TCU, the Jayhawks didn't score a touchdown. They scored a field goal. The final two quarters of the Iowa State game. The Jayhawks didn't score a touchdown at all. And, there, and Daniel's they fumble no was huge. At all. Huge and against so TCU. That's that equals up to one full game of zero touchdowns. Yeah. Not gonna win a Heisman 
if you're not throwing or running for any touchdowns. Now, I don't take anything away from Jalen Daniels because, again, I'm a huge Jalen Daniels fan, but I don't know if defenses had, were able to adjust to what Jalen Daniels had been doing, you know, that you've got a lot more film on him now than you probably did at the beginning of the season. You're getting into conference play with better defenses. Hats off to Iowa State's defense. That's going to be a recurring theme over the next two segments on the show. Yes, it will be. That's the one thing that Matt Campbell has going for him in Ames is their defense. Their offense is awful on a variety of levels. <laughs> uh, but he's got a great defense at Iowa State. And so that's probably part of it. And then TCU is just great all around. And so, you know, that was, that's probably a significant factor, but Jason Bean came in and I, I can tell you, you know, since I was there in my primo seats, uh, I can you tell were. you uh, that when Daniels went out and I mean, it was right before halftime and they, I don't think they had any other offensive plays. After no, they did not. Injured. Um, but then when Daniels did not come back out to warm up in the second half, it was like the air was sucked out of the building and all of that atmosphere and that energy that you had with with game day and the festivities and, and the announcement of the new stadium, which I'm sure we'll get into and all of that, that all went out the window. It was gone. And then all Jason Bean did was go and throw for four touchdowns in the second half and unlocked something in the Kansas offense. So will that continue at that pace? Probably not. Probably not long term if Jason Bean is the starting quarterback. Maybe for next however week. long it is, and we don't know. We don't know if it's a week or two weeks or the rest of the season. No idea at this point. There's some controversy and what speculation is going questions on in about Oklahoma. That. Oh my gosh, the Sooners are terrible right now. What is happening? Yeah. It's it's bad. It's bad. So I mean, but I don't necessarily think that that sort of pace from Jason Bean will continue that no. way. But you never know. It's an unmitigated disaster in Norman right now. Coach Leopold talked this week at his press conference about whether or not they will be tweaking their game plan for well, being. You're always going to uh, tweak to somebody's strengths. Um, but, you know, the call sheet's the call sheet. And what we're doing to continue to, to do what we can to be as multiple as possible Um you know, it's really a credit to him. I, I think we all recognize that. I, as we said, I, you know, I said it. I think after the post game, I, I stood in here a lot in August and talked about him playing well, and it wasn't just um, to appease him or or take something off Jalen and that because, especially at that position. But I've also found is in our program now, you know, we've got a lot of guys that want to play, you know, can play. And and sometimes you got to make sure you're recognizing their efforts, even though their the snaps may not show up all the time. So, Coach Lance Leopold at his press conference, getting ready for Oklahoma this week. Yeah, Bean was tremendous. You can't say enough about what he did, and I think we also have to talk about the wide receiving core as well because they have gotten great production out of Luke Grimm and L.J. Arnold and Quentin Skinner had another tremendous cut. Oh, my gosh, I was running around. That was an amazing catch right in front, I believe, of your primo seats at at Memorial Stadium. You had a great look at that. Um, And wide receiver Trevor Wilson is going to be back with KU football. His charges of aggravated assault were dismissed in Douglas. County Court. He was expected to be a playmaker after transferring with Coach Leopold from Buffalo. 364 yards, 27 catches, and a touchdown last year. So we've talked a lot about the quarterbacks, deservedly so, but this has been a team, maybe not as much on Saturday, but this has been a team that has had 
good success running the football. They still have been without Highshaw for the last couple of weeks due to his injury. And let's not forget how good he was playing before he went out. So this is a team that has run the football pretty well, but they have gotten great production. How many times were we saying, does KU have any wide receivers that are any good at all, ever? over the last four or five years. And it turns out when Jalen Daniels comes in, oh, maybe this Kwame Lasseter guy just needed a quarterback who can throw him the football. So Graham, Arnold, and Skinner, we've got to... And Casey's made some big catches this year. Now, he has not turned into Travis Kelsey or anything like that, but Casey has also made some big catches, big third down conversions for Kansas, big first down catches for Kansas. So this wide receiving core has been very productive as well to go along with a all of a sudden blossoming and rapidly improving running game from last year. Yeah, without a doubt. And that, you know, the Daniel Highshaw injury is significant. He was probably running the best out of any of the the running backs. But I know that one thing that Coach Leipold um, has really been pleased with is the overall depth at, at running back this season. Uh, Devin Neal, the, the hometown kid, um, the real you know, has, deal. has run well. But I, you know, I like um, I like Savion Morrison too, and he's not getting a ton of touches. But the touches he gets, he makes the most of it. He had one carry for forty yards uh, against TCU. Um, Pretty but, good. You know, really, absolutely. I was really overall though, and this isn't this is not stat based necessarily. Um, it's more feeling based, I guess with this Kansas program, because we can talk about the injury long-term, what that means for Jalen Daniels and if he'll be back this season. And if so, what that looks like in the interim with Jason Bean, we can talk about all of that. And, but what Kansas was able to do against TCU when they were down by a touchdown at halftime, after losing your star player, that is a recipe for a Kansas program historically to fold up the tent and go home. Oh yeah, like, it's over. Uh, we're we're done. We're 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 we suck again. Especially yeah, at, we're, we're at, again. at the quarterback. It's not like a running yeah. back or a defensive end. Yeah. This is your quarterback against yep. a top twenty team. Yep. And the fact that they were able to fight back and the resiliency and the toughness, um, and they end up falling, but only by a touchdown, in spite of that adversity, is incredible. And I think you know. I'm not a moral, a moral victories guy. Sure. Um, that's not what I do. I, I think that it's a waste of time, you know, but that was a moral victory and I'm okay with that moral victory and I feel fine about it. And I think honestly, the AP voters feel good about it too, because they didn't move Kansas down at all in not the AP all. top 25 and they shouldn't have. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, again, long-term who knows, but at least right now still feel pretty good. Obviously, there were problems. Uh, the fumble at the goal line was very big. And going back to the same issue that we had against the Chiefs, it was incredibly frustrating to watch us consistently not guard Quentin Johnston the entire game. Someone yeah. on the defensive staff. They have one person who is catching the football. Can we maybe make them throw it to somebody else? I mean, I understand Quentin Johnston is really good. But He's can incredible. we maybe double cover him just once and tr just to try it out? They threw the ball at him 17 times. He caught it for 14 for like a billion yards. Like, uh, it, really it was infuriating. And I don't think that Max Duggan gets the credit that he deserves. In the He's a good 12. quarterback. He played He's really good. He's a really good quarterback. And he made one, he made one bad throw. Um, but other than that, you know, he, he, he passed the ball well and... 
the Jayhawks defense had a hard time containing him when he would take off running. And yeah, he made it always some seemed big like runs. there was wide open field in front of him, and he made really good decisions on when to tuck the ball and run. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, like, you know, I, it's weird to me that we're talking about in back-to-back games how great TCU is and how terrible Oklahoma is and how we're <laughs> play, how Kansas is playing Oklahoma, but Kansas is the ranked team and Oklahoma is not. Like, it's just – it's like bizarro world. But this whole season – has been Here bizarre we world. It's it's crazy that it you know last weekend, uh, all four Big Twelve matchups. There were a couple of teams that were off, uh, but all four Big Twelve matchups featured at least one ranked team, except the Red River rivalry. And <laughs> I know. neither one of those teams were ranked. Yeah, I think John Kurtz, who's a big Kansas State podcaster, he was tweeting out some of the television numbers and and was saying, you know, yep, you know, it, it, it's we say it all the time, but you know, we have to, we're always having to subsidize Oklahoma and Texas in football. So I thought that was pretty funny. Um, Lonnie Phelps did play well. He had a sack. I really like the way that Lonnie Phelps plays. He's got a great motor on him. I love watching him play. Kenny Logan, he's been great all year. Had another nice game, but oh my gosh, can we please take the number one? option away next time somebody on the defensive staff make an adjustment um i do want to get real quickly before we move on to kansas state by the way hey real quick sorry well uh, before, well, before we just... move on to kansas state i wanted to ask you about two things first of all yeah espn game day was there yeah. obviously the reviews from espn were tremendous the i we saw the 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 fandom the the whole mob of crimson and blue on the hill it looked amazing on tv and all obviously the capital campaign for memorial stadium to rebuild they don't have the details yet my only comment on that is that you better get it done right now get the funding done in the next year you need to strike right now if you wait and something happens this could blow up you know i am I'm, I'm not above saying that i don't think it's going to if leopold stays i think he's got something sustainable here but you need to get on this travis goff today yesterday the day before yesterday okay do it now now i see yeah, the this... floor to you game day and obviously the new stadium announcement yeah, I, huge, and and the atmosphere was incredible. Um, you know, the the only the only bad thing about driving to Lawrence from Wichita was <laughs> not being able to watch College Game Day. Uh, yeah. I listened to it like they have a simulcast on the radio, and so sure. I listened to it. Uh, but I, you know, I and I probably felt like the traffic once you got there. Yeah, there was a, a tiny bit of traffic for sure, and it was <laughs> it was busier. And this is what's crazy. Like I, I, maybe I texted you this. I texted a couple different people this that. I know that the last like two weeks before the TCU game were also sellouts at the booth. They were, but this one felt like more sold out. Like it, <laughs> that's weird. Like they were all sellouts, but the TCU game felt like even more of a sellout. Well, Atmosphere when I was, was going great. to school, sellout meant fifty thousand, and so now the sellout's forty five thousand. So I don't really know. Forty seven. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what that because yeah. we were selling it out in fifty five. So I don't know where. Um, you know, I don't understand, but whatever. Um, but as far as the new stadium deal, yeah, you're. This is Travis Goff letting it all hang out, you know, and striking while the iron's hot. I'm here for it. Um, And and yeah, why not jump on the wave of momentum and try to get something done now? Like, it's a lot easier to pick up the phone and talk to the donors right now when you're five and one and you're ranked than when you're oh and six and, you know, your head coach is Charlie Weiss uh, or David Beatty. Like, it's a lot easier right now to pick up the phone and make that ask to open the Oh, Charlie Weiss and, is never going to be too far yeah, away to get thrown yeah. under the bus on this show. But what 
what I loved about the game is that, you know, you obviously have the momentum and the new stadium announcement, game day, all of that. And even though KU lost, there were dozens and dozens of recruits that were there at the game. They got a chance to soak in that game day, soak in that atmosphere, be there on the field for it. And that's got to be an easier sell for the assistant coaches as well. The recruiting coordinators, as opposed to, Hey, it's, you know, three quarters empty here at David Booth Memorial Stadium. Can you imagine this place being full? If you guys turn it around now, you can say like, you guys can keep it. it. This is what we we can offer. This is what we will provide to you. As long as you just don't absolutely stink. And, and so to follow that, um, I think it. I think this happened after our last show, so we've not discussed it at all at any length. Um, but the job at Wisconsin is open now. Yeah, it is. Th- there's con- there's conversations about that's also a job that Lance Leipold could have interest in, or Wisconsin could have interest in him. I I, sa- I got to tell you, I sat there on Saturday with all the festivities, and I thought to myself. I understand the appeal of Wisconsin. Lance Leipold is a Wisconsin native, and he had tremendous success at a D3 school in the state. Wisconsin Whitewater, I believe. Yep. I even understand the appeal long-term of a Nebraska and the resources that that program can provide to you and the facilities and all of that. I even slightly understand that. But in that moment, inside the booth, I thought, we're not losing this guy. We're not losing this guy because Kansas can match the money. So it's not a money thing. And the passion is there from a hungry fan base who has clamored and desired and begged and pleaded for this for years. And so I, I don't know. I don't have any, any proof. My gut tells me he's not leaving. I mean, the, much to the benefit of Travis Goff. Lawrence, Kansas, and the KU football fandom that everybody questioned and said, oh, they're not real. They only care about basketball. Uh, You said hungry. I would say, I would think I'm going to more accurately (laughs) categorize it as desperate, starving, ravenous would be the words that I would use. Um, They are certainly putting their best foot forward right now. Jayhawks are on the road, 11 a.m., ESPN2 on Saturday. The Jayhawks are getting... Seven and a half points. KU is receiving so, 7.5 points. Oklahoma, we mentioned earlier, they are giving up 48 points per game over the last three weeks. Meanwhile, KU is scoring 40, point, 40 points per game. Uh, Tommy, your thoughts on a matchup with the Oklahoma Sooners, a team that KU has not beaten since 1997? Well, hey, I was going to ask you. So I actually got in a little while ago on Kansas uh plus nine on DraftKings. Um, So I don't know if that's changed in the last, because I did that like a couple hours ago. So maybe it's changed. I I looked on FanDuel just for full disclosure. So, I mean, if you looked around, you may be able to find a better deal. Um, And I I took it. I'm like, absolutely, they're going to cover nine, in my opinion. Will they win? I don't know. But I'd like to think that with the way that Oklahoma – I mean, they got shut out 49 nothing. I can't Texas. believe that that happened. 49 to zip. And Brent Venables is supposed to be a defensive guru. He is a defensive guru. This is, that, that's, they this gave doesn't up 49 change it. points to Texas. I, I, I can't explain it. Why is, why is Kansas 5-1? I, I, I can't, I can't explain these things. 
So I'm, I, I mean, I, I don't know if they're going to win the game. I think that they're a more talented team than Oklahoma is for sure. I can't believe that you just said those words, you, uh, but seriously? it's the truth. I don't know about but that, I, but I'm, but I'm, ta- I'm taking Kansas to cover the nine. I think, yeah, nine. I think, yeah, I think I would I'd even take them to cover the seven and a half, seven and a half. I, I might be a player on that as well. They have announced KU's next game. It's going to be another 11 a.m. game. So if you don't like that sort of thing, sorry. At Baylor is going to be on the deuce October 22nd. Meanwhile, Kansas State controls their own destiny. The Wildcats on a two-game winning streak two weeks ago, a 37-28 victory over Texas Tech. Last week, an absolute ugly wart pimple of a football game. But the Cats hold on. They win an ugly one at Iowa State. 10 to 9. We talked about how good the Iowa State defense is. This is the number one defensive team in several categories in the Big 12. Safety Josh Hayes, the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Week. Khalid Duke was honored in Week 5 from Kansas State. Hayes had 11 tackles. Kansas State kept ISU out of the end zone. Eight tackles were solo. He had a tackle for loss. The Cyclones only got to the red zone once this year uh, in that game against Kansas State which is what we were expecting the defense to do. They dominated. What happened to the offense? Well, obviously, Iowa State happened to the offense. Kansas State scored 78 points over the previous two weeks as they ran through Oklahoma and Texas Tech. Obviously, they had the 81-yard strike to Phillip Brooks. That was the highlight of the entire game. Deuce Vaughn was kind of a no-show against Iowa State. Half as many carries as Adrian Martinez, who ran the ball 19 times for 77 yards, but... Iowa State is not an easy place to win. The Cyclones are not an easy team to score points on. Just ask the the Kansas Jayhawks about that. In Kansas State, they drop the game that may keep them out of the college football playoff if things continue the way that they are against Tulane. However, in terms of making a Big 12 championship and contending for a title, especially with Oklahoma and Texas in free fall at the moment, well, probably not Texas since they won the shootout, but Kansas State gets another difficult road win against a difficult opponent, the best defense in the Big 12. Kansas State fans have to be feeling pretty damn confident going into their bye week about how their team is playing and where they are and what they are positioned to have a chance to do under Coach Kleiman in what we both thought coming into the year was a chance to have a pivotal year. I submit to you that that victory against Iowa State could potentially be the defining victory of the Kansas State season. Wow. Um, Because it was ugly and it was gritty and weird things happen in Ames at night. (laughs) They do. Especially Uh, whether it's on the football field or in Hilton, it just uh happens. And Kansas State was able to get out of there with a victory. And, you know, and I, I can kind of, I can understand both sides of it. Like if you are, I said this on the radio show, if you're a glass half full kind of person and you spin it as, oh, it was gritty. Okay, cool. I get that. I understand. You could spin it negatively too and say it was really ugly. And okay, I understand that also. Like, I think it, 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 it can be it, both. It had elements of both without yes. a doubt in that game. Um, but what I, why I say it's defining is because that game lined up game script wise, like the way the whole game planned out, played out from start to finish, it most resembled the Tulane game a few weeks ago, which was also an ugly game offensively for both teams. It was. Especially Kansas State. And Kansas State did not respond well. And they did not win that game. And clearly they took lessons from that game. I think the Tulane loss 
looking back on it, was probably the best thing to ever happen to this Wildcats team because they used those lessons and said, all right, if we find ourselves in a situation like that again, which they did against Iowa State, they were able to do it a different way. And both Tulane and Iowa State had had very, in my opinion, very simple game plans, very simple strategies. Make Adrian Martinez throw the football. Make him beat us with his arm. He couldn't do it against Tulane. Part of it's the play calling. Part of it was he just didn't make the throws um, or wouldn't make the throws against Tulane. He beat Iowa State with his arm. He had some home run plays with both Malik Knowles and Phillip Brooks. He still ran, you know, for 70-some yards, but Deuce Vaughn was a non-factor. They shut him down. Yeah, they did a great job on Deuce. Make Adrian Martinez beat us with his arm. And you know what? To the credit of Adrian Martinez, he did. And so I think that that you have to look at as potentially a defining victory. And K-State is in the driver's seat to win a Big 12 title. Yeah, the I don't think that I'm ready to quite have as much panic about the running game because, man, in that Tech game, they ran through the Red Raiders. Deuce and Adrian each topped them for 170 each and each had a nice 69-yard run was there long. So I don't want to make this seem like it's a huge issue because Iowa State, as we mentioned, they are the number one defense in the league in terms of points per game allowed. They're the number one defense in rushing defense, passing defense. They're third in passing defense efficiency. Kansas State is number one, by the way. So Iowa State is great defensively without question, but uh, Kansas State pulls out a gritty win, and these are the games. I mean, think back to last year, Tommy. Oklahoma, uh, and that game, again, I know that it was closer than it indicated because Kansas State got a late score, but Oklahoma State, gritty, tough game. Kansas State couldn't win. And the backbreaker last year, the one that everybody was really, really upset about, not maybe upset's the wrong word, but disappointed in was that Texas lost. Those close games last year where Kansas State just could not do just enough because all of the good teams are going to have games when they play really well, like Kansas State has against Texas Tech, like Kansas State did against Oklahoma. But they're going to have games where things don't go to script. And the good teams are the ones who survive and advance. Like you texted me, the Iowa State game that Kansas did that to the Cyclones. Survived and advanced. Kansas State found a way to survive and advance last week. And Coach Kleiman's got to be feeling really good going into the bye. Sure. And, and you know, the other teams in the Big 12, um, I, I think that it's pretty clear that you're not going to have, at least in my opinion, a Big 12 champion with zero losses. I think you're probably going to have a one-loss team more than likely win the Big 12. Um, I think an, I don't want to say an underrated team, but a team that's not getting as much talk as I think they probably should nationally is Oklahoma state. Um, and 100%. all Mike Gundy has done is just develop a, another fantastic top 10 program in America. They would be the biggest challenger. I would think to, to Kansas state. I mean, TCU for sure is, is really, really solid and Baylor's up there also. Sure. Um, but really Kansas state, they've got it. I think they're in the driver's seat and just even watching Chris Kleiman post game on Saturday night and how fired up he was with that win. <laughs> Um, I, you know, I think he realizes how important that was to get out of Ames with the victory again. Yeah. Survive in advance, get out of there. And, and really when you look at that game as a whole, the Wildcats should have won that game, you know, easily 
I mean, going away, they should have won that game. It should have been twenty to nine. They left points nine. on the field. They missed a field goal for sure. And Malik Knowles fumbled it at the goal line. You know, the Iowa State defender punched the ball out at the goal line, and uh, it was a touchback for Iowa State. So, um, yeah, I, you know, they got out of there. They survived. They their backs were up against the wall. Their defense held. Um, they were able to play. You know, have their identity defensively, and it worked. Um, and then Adrian Martinez showed how versatile he really can be. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, if, if you're Chris Kleiman, you feel really good about where you stand right now. And Coach Kleiman was asked about what this week will be used for in terms of development for the Cats on the bye week. A, a bunch of it. Uh, yesterday uh, we had a development practice <clears throat> working a lot of guys on special teams, some kids that haven't played yet, some other guys that uh, uh, are, are in the two deep, um, but more specifically special teams guys. And then we'll take in the young players, mostly the, uh, the freshmen and first or second year guys and uh, doing some uh, K-State versus K-State team, get those guys away from the scout cards and get them back to uh, you know our schemes offensively and defensively. We'll do that uh, uh, quite a bit today and tomorrow. We'll do a little bit uh, of TCU here uh, in the next couple of days as well. You mentioned TCU. So does Coach Kleiman. Kansas State on a bye this week. The 501 Cats heading to Texas Christian on October 22nd for a 7 p.m. kickoff on either Fox or Fox Sports 1, a matchup that all of a sudden, Tommy, has very, very big Big 12 championship implications. It does, and uh, I don't think that that can be overstated whatsoever um i got you know got to see tcu firsthand they're a really good football team um and on both sides of the ball and and sunny dykes um has been around for a long time he knows football really well and he built a good program at smu and i figured that he would do well at tcu i just wasn't sure it would be so quickly um but he has absolutely turned tcu into a really formidable program. So, um, you know, Kansas State will have its hands full, but they've got to make sure that, you know, if, yeah, the, their identity is Deuce Vaughn. I mean, it's just their identity offensively. But if they're, if TCU is able to bottle up Vaughn, then they've got to make sure that they unlock Adrian Martinez to have a big game. Kansas State, as I mentioned, by week this week. So enjoy the week off, Kansas State fans. Time for one last piece of business. And, of course, it is our Wichita Whip Round, so it is time to hit the music. These are all the stories that maybe we didn't have a chance to get to and stuff that you're probably going to want to know as you move forward in your Wichita sports fandom. I will start this week with the Holy War as Bishop Carroll beats Capen for the 24th consecutive time. The class of 2003. Tommy, I will be happy to date myself. That's the year I graduated. That's the last class of Crusaders that remembers what a win over BC felt like. It was their freshman year. Carroll wins it 26-21. Bishop Carroll pulled away by two scores twice in the game, but Crusaders fought their way back both times. Of course, a Western Sharks coach team is never going to give up. They pull within five. A misplayed field goal attempt for Bishop Carroll. Uh, had a chance to make it a two-score game again with just a few minutes left. So Capen, a uh, last drive, but the gangrene defense able to hold them out as they beat the Crusaders. They win the Holy War. Bishop Carroll for the 26th consecutive time. It's unbelievable that this rivalry, and there have been some extremely close games, and I have called a couple of them in this rivalry, uh, but 
for some reason, somehow, some way, uh, the western half of the Catholic community in Wichita has ended the Holy War week a lot happier than those on the east side. And how about the incredible crowd at Riverfront Stadium? Number one um, all I time. Think I, yeah, the number one most attended event at Riverfront, which 8, is 8,000 plus. Um, you know, love it. And that, that clearly shows that, you know, both Cape and Ann Carroll fans um, are passionate about their, their programs. And I think that, to me, in my opinion, that should secure Riverfront to be the home every year for Cape and Carroll, right in the middle of the city. Um, I, you know, it's a it's a destination venue I that I would advocate for that right now. Because where, I mean, yeah, you're going to play it at Cessna, I guess. Like when it's for you know Cape and the home team. I don't. I just feel like uh, they played at Stry. They play their home games at Striker. Stri- this that's this, right. They played at Striker. I don't this, know. They played at Riverfront. This is the same argument, and I got into this argument when they moved the border war to Arrowhead Stadium. Uh, and I understand, th- and those two games obviously were happened to be when KU and Missouri were both top 25 teams. Both games were amazing, came down to the last drive both times. I like the game being on campus. I just do. I think you lose something. I like being able to go to Bishop Carroll Family Stadium to watch that game. I know the Carroll fans, too, do as well. I know that it's a little bit different for Capen because they don't have an on-campus stadium, which... I think is a is a shame. They should have an on campus stadium. Maybe personally. every other year they play it at Riverfront. The years that I, I would be willing team. to do like maybe a like uh, like maybe how Wichita State and Kansas State are doing basketball, Coke Arena, and then a Bramlage, Interest Bank, and Sprint Center. Like maybe do a Bishop Carroll Striker, and then Riverfront on an every third year basis. I'd be okay with that. It's certainly not going to be the last time that there's a high school football game. I think Dodge City is playing, like Garden City, at yeah. Riverfront and Stadium. And West and Northwest are playing at Riverfront as well. Okay. I bet neither one of them get 8,000 fans. But they're no. Northwest Northwest will show up for that game. Tommy, what is your whip for this week? So, actually, originally mine was going to be about the Holy War, but uh, that's okay. I have another one in my back pocket to sure. discuss. Uh, we won't have another show before... Uh, this happened, so figured we'd bring it up now. Uh, opening night for the Wichita Thunder coming up next Saturday yeah, sure. night at Interest Bank Arena. Training camp is officially underway this week, and it's the new, the first year of the new affiliation with the San Jose Sharks and the San Jose Barracuda for the Wichita Thunder. Uh, a lot of returning players, but then some new faces as well. Um, the, the full training camp roster is at wichitathunder.com. Uh, they have an exhibition game this weekend at Tulsa uh, to take on the Oilers. Uh, and then they kick off on the 22nd at Interest Bank Arena, taking on the Allen Americans. So looking forward to that. Another hockey season is right around the corner. Without a doubt, looking forward to some Wichita Thunder hockey this year for sure. And that is the Wichita Whip Around for today. Really appreciate you guys sticking with us to the end. There's just one last piece of business to take care of. Our additions, corrections, and retractions. I have one addition today. Wanted to get in a little something about Shocker Volleyball. Wichita State 8-8, eight 3-2 and eight, three and two in the American Athletic Conference. Only have consecutive wins twice this year. They're just not quite as consistent as some past teams have been. I watched them play their match against number 24 UCF. They're just not quite as good as the top teams in the American right now. And UCF is good. They have got an amazing outside hitter who does a little bit of everything for them. 
but there's just a difference in talent right now between this team and the 2017 Shockers and the 2012 Shockers and even the 2015 Shockers, 2008 Shockers I never saw. But I did see 2012, 2015, and 2017 play either on television 2012 or in person 2015 and 2017. And this this team just doesn't quite have it right now. Yeah, and you know they they started the season well. I mean, I know they were away from home for a really really long time to, to kick off the season and had a decent start to the year, but then really fell on hard times. Um, I think they had a what they they spent a weekend in Lawrence and then a weekend in Kansas City. I want to say that didn't go well. Um, I, I don't have the schedule in front of me and the results, but um, I feel like they're 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 close. But they're they're not quite there yet. So hopefully things continue to improve for them long term. And yeah, like McKenna Melville, like I was doing the PA. It seems like every time I was sent, like every single UCF point, McKenna Melville. It, it like McKenna Melville is really really good graduate from Egan, Minnesota. Thank goodness she is moving on because um, she has. It seems like I have filled in just by happenstance on PA every single time that UCF plays. Wichita State and every match. So all I say is McKenna Melville. I'm sure that Coach Lamb probably has nightmares <laughs> in his sleep about 20 in black and gold and McKenna Melville. Uh, any A season R's for you this week, sir? I've got a couple. One is really brief. Uh, shout out to the Shocker men's golf team. They won the Greer Jones Invitational at Crestview Country Club this week. Um, so a solid outing for, for them. So congratulations about that. Uh, and then we would be remiss, I think, to not at least briefly mention, I know we talked in the, on the last episode about Dayton Moore being let go at Kansas City. Mike Matheny is out too now. Yes, uh, he is. The Royals and Cal Eldred, the pitching coach. Uh, the, the managerial search, I'm sure, continues, but this is part of the the major overhaul with John Sherman and JJ Piccolo Um, and so some speculation on who that that person might be but this was the right move in my opinion you need a fresh voice in there uh, especially as you have some probably difficult decisions about the overall direction of the franchise and some of the young stars are you committed to them long term I think honestly in my opinion and we don't have to get into a discussion about it but outside of maybe Bobby Witt Jr. I feel like you can have some conversations about nearly everybody else. I'm not suggesting that they completely clear the cupboards out, but you can at least have some conversations and a new manager will help in that perspective. Sadly, when you're talking about having those kind of conversations, what that sounds to me like is about 65 wins next year for the boys in blue. So uh, we're not going to be, we'll be wearing these Royal shirts, um, but we're not going to be proudly wearing these Royal shirts for a couple of years. It would seem that is our show. Before we completely wrap up, I cannot believe that we've gotten to the end of the show and never got your thoughts on roughing the passer. We did this entire show. True, We did. We never even mentioned Chris Jones. I mean, we Derek Carr. I did mention the play. um, I think, what what did I say? I think it was the mate. Whatever. It, it was a terrible call. He had the ball. He had the ball. What are you talking about? You know, the whole thing about, oh, we have to, um, we, we, we have to, they can't land on the quarterback. Like, it, this is football. That is, that play is not what the enhanced protection of quarterbacks and the enhanced roughing the passer penalty we're talking about the Chiefs Chiefs Raiders game. That is not what that was designed to stop. That that is not it. And Troy Aikman, I know, is getting a lot of heat for saying we, you know, that, that we need to take the dresses off and whatever. You know, if you don't like the what he said it, 
you know, I'm guessing that you're probably just being angry just for the sake of making yourself feel good that you are angry. And I'm not saying that he couldn't have said it a better way and a more PC way, but he's correct. He is correct. There is no reason that that needs to be flagged. Period. You and I have, you and I have both done play-by-play um, and live radio, and I'm sure that we both have things that we said that we probably would like to have back. And, and, sure. and maybe not even like inappropriate, but maybe in the way we worded something and it was completely by accident and not anything intentional. I don't think he meant anything intentional by no, it. No, of it's course hard. You not. You got to think on your feet and have it communicate well. And it, it happens. I'm sure he would love to walk it back and, and, you know, say it differently the next time, but I don't, I don't fault him for that. But as far as the actual play itself, um, let me tell you, I have a crystal ball in, and I, I believe I know really? What is going to happen in regards to this situation? And I don't like it. I can already tell you how this is going to go. This is an overcorrection from the Tua Tagovailoa situation, which actually happened as we were recording the last episode. I remember mentioning. I remember, show, yeah. Like he hit his head and all that, you know, and, and kind of seized up. This is an overcorrection from that. I'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad thing because player safety is is paramount. But, but these don't have anything to, happen, to do with each other. This was not a going, head injury thing at all. Right. What's going to happen is the NFL is going to decide that roughing the passer will become a reviewable penalty and it will go up to the booth and there will be multiple camera <sighs> angles and the game will be stopped for several minutes. It will be not unlike targeting at the college level. I can tell you that's what's going to happen. And the other Tommy. thing that I can say on an, the next step further is they are going to screw it up every single time. You remember the one year that they reviewed pass, pass interference calls? It, it was, was a disaster. Famously a failure and they got rid of it. Why in the world do they think that it's going to They're be different this time? Do it again. They're going to it's going to happen again. Oh I can tell you gosh. right now it's going to happen again and it's going to be a disaster. I think maybe, you know, I'll say something that's maybe even more offensive than what Troy Aikman said. I think that the competition committee, maybe we just need to put them on an island and leave them somewhere. How about that? How about that? I mean, you know, I, I think a couple of, I mean, I, like, it's funny because I've heard people, like, seriously suggesting, like, not even as a joke, seriously suggesting putting flags on the quarterbacks. No, no. I've heard that. No, and no, no. I thought I've we heard were past. People, I've heard people suggesting, seriously suggesting to stop tracking and incentivizing sacks of the quarterback. Oh, my god! Take it gosh. out of contracts for players so they have no financial motivation to hit a quarterback. We, stop tracking it as an official statistic. Because if you don't want them to do it, stop tracking it as a statistic. I'm not saying they should, but I've heard people talking about that. We are where, in... This is, it's, it's, yeah, it's not football. We are in an era where people will say anything that they want to as long as it makes them look and appear to the masses and social media like they care. That's why people are getting upset with Troy Aikman. Not condoning what Troy Aikman said or the way that he said it. But the only reason that those people are getting mad at Troy Aikman is because it makes them feel good. The only sure. reason that people are getting upset about su suggesting that we're going to get rid of the sack in the NFL is because, oh, look at me. I care for the players. I uh, look at what a good person. It's all about me and what I am doing and how much I care.
and what a good person I am and me, me, me. It is that they don't actually care about the quarterbacks. They don't actually care about women. They are doing this to say, look at me. Look at how good I am. The, 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 that, that, that would be you. It's so sad that the chance that you are wrong is not 0% and you're not. It's not zero. Yeah, I know and, today and, it's not zero percent, and that's and so I'm not ridiculous. Even, it's funny because I'm not even you know saying it tongue in cheek. Like these it's, are legitimate no. suggestions. I, I don't. I don't think that you know. I think it's unlikely we're going to put flags on the quarterbacks. I think it's unlikely that sacks are going to be de-incentivized. But I do think it's likely it's going to become a reviewable penalty. Here, it, it, football is a contact, violent sport. And that's okay. Everybody believes right now, this is getting into a greater political, a bigger political discussion. I'm not even sure I want to have, but everybody wants, you know, nobody is allowed to feel anything negative. Nobody can get hurt. Nobody, there can't be anything bad happen. We need to make sure that nothing bad happens to anybody ever. And that's where society is right now. This is football. People are going to get hurt, just like if you get put into a relationship, there's going to be a chance you get your heart broken. If, even though you're doing a good job at your job, there's a chance that you're going to get fired. Or if you start a business, your company is going to, get, is going to fail. Or if you get on a plane, it's going to crash. Or if you get in a car, you're going to be in an accident. Bad things are going to happen no matter what we do to prevent them, okay? That doesn't... That doesn't mean that we shouldn't make people wear seatbelts, but it does mean that we shouldn't make people stay at home instead of saying, well, if we can't have car crashes, obviously we just need people to walk everywhere. There is a happy, moderate medium that we can walk across and have a balance between protecting people and overprotecting people. But, you know, obviously nobody on either side can see that you know because if you're in the middle like me oh everybody you just piss everybody off have i can we end the show now before i piss off sure. somebody else sure Please. let's do that uh this has been episode 104 of the keeper of the games podcast we really appreciate you watching we'd appreciate it even more if you'd like share and subscribe we might get canceled after yeah. this we'll I mean, see if no we, we'll see if we get back in two weeks uh who would yeah. cancel us by the way i'm not even sure who <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we have sponsors that can pull out. <laughs> no, no, we don't. Um, th th yeah, that, that's a great question as well. So maybe we'll see you in two weeks. If we do, we'll have updates on the Chiefs and the Jayhawks and the Wildcats, of course, with some very, very big football games coming up. KU Oklahoma, obviously, Kansas State, TCU in two weeks is going to be massive. Chiefs-Bills this next Sunday is going to be a huge game. We'll have it all covered for you on episode 105. We'll have we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Of course, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at COGPOD, K-O-G-P-O-D. Tommy, if people would like to follow you on Twitter, especially our beloved audio listeners, how would they do that? Follow me anytime on Twitter at Tweets from Tommy. And I am at B-E-C-R-I-P-P-S, B-E-Crips on Twitter. Again, assuming that we don't get canceled. We'll see you in a couple of weeks, or will we, on the Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. 
Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod.